Tech Sideline is presented by First Bank and Trust Company. They offer free checking with industry-leading mobile banking. Who you choose to bank with can make all the difference. Visit firstbank.com to learn more. We're a little over halfway into Virginia Tech football preseason camp, and the media observed a chippy practice on Wednesday. We'll get into that, discuss some young players that are impressing, get into the offensive line, and more on episode 305 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, which starts right now. We're recording this on Thursday, August 16th from Tech Sidelines High Tech Studios in the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe to our channel and please share the podcast with a friend. As always, Tech Sideline is presented by First Bank and Trust Company, who you choose to bank with can make all the difference. Bank with First Bank and Trust Company. This episode is also brought to you by The Hokie Way. The Hokie Way's countdown to kickoff matching donations campaign is underway. This fund drive is critically important to Virginia Tech NIL. The first $250,000 in donations will be matched. Visit thehokieway.org to learn more and to donate. I'm David Cunningham, Tech Sidelines Managing Editor and your host for today's episode. We've got a full football crew on set today. To my right, Chris Coleman, Tech Sidelines Lead Analyst and Columnist. Andy Bitter, Tech Sidelines Senior Staff Writer, is across the way. Carter Hill is behind the scenes producing the show. Let's jump into it. We witnessed practice on Wednesday afternoon and observed uh, an offensive lineman, Johnny Dixon, get, it, get sent to the locker room for throwing a punch at defensive lineman Wilfred Panay. Brett Price said he loved the enthusiasm and competitiveness, but he wasn't happy, uh, obvious by a few choice words. Andy, what'd you make of the whole situation? It was chippy. It's good. It's good to get out there. I'm sure they, they love that like the we get there for 25 minutes. One of the five-minute periods is when this happens right in front of uh, the entire media. But you're going to get this in football practice every now and then. You're going to have some chippiness out there. You're hitting the same guys every day. This is a competitive period inside run where you know offensive line, defensive line really get after it in that type of thing. And the players are very into it. And, you know, emotions got a little heated there for a second. They were, they were heated right from the start. I mean, they, the first rep, I think they were in each other's faces, uh, Braylon Moore, Darrell Pollard there at the start. And, you know, everybody's talking to each other and it just kind of got out of hand there. And Brent Pry did jump in and, uh, you know, he made an example of Dixon, sent him to, sent him to the locker room, uh, you know, said, uh, Stuff like this is how you get uh, how you go three and bleep in nine. Well, they were three and eight last year, so I, I don't know what he's assuming what would have happened in that UVA game. But you get the idea. The small things like this, when you know the games are decided on the margins, very small things like this, a 15-yard penalty in that situation could be pretty decisive one way or the other. So I think he likes the intensity, he likes the competition. You're going to get that in preseason practice. Would prefer not to see it after the whistle when you're going to get a penalty that, that's pretty costly to the team. I thought everything was handled well, very well. I was happy to see there was a, the pads were popping. You know, there was a physical drill. That's the same thing as Tech's old middle drill. It just has a different name to it. Um, I saw. So I liked the aggressiveness. I liked the physicality of it. And, you know, probably let the first one go when uh, I guess it was Moore and Pollard 
grabbing each other's face. Yeah, I think, I, I, think think Fuga, was, I think it was Fuga, Fuga was too. Fuga, was okay, Fuga. Okay. okay, that was yeah. more even that one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and it was yeah. kind of just JC and JC Price and Brent Price both kind of got in there and were like, "All right, guys." Like, also, they yeah. have like they have fake officials there. Well, not right. fake, like they real there. Yeah, real officials that are you know judging the thing. Yeah. the fake football that's going on. But they they threw a flag on the Braylon or the uh, right. the Johnny, Johnny Dixon, Dixon one because it was so. After the play, after everything, it kind of settled down for a second. You know, I, I think you understand as a coach that those things are going to happen. So you let the first one go. But if the same thing happens within four plays and it seems like it's going to spiral out of control and you're going to kind of have a wasted practice because guys are just fighting each other, that's when you step in and reassert control of the situation. And that's what he did. I thought he handled it very well. It's really interesting that everybody, everybody's always like – what did you see at practice? How'd the quarterbacks look? What do you think about the DBs? And 95% of the time, you really can't tell anything from what you see in one of these short open practices because they're not actually playing football. It's rare that you actually get into a practice and see something that's really, really interesting. Well, yesterday was one of those, one of the 5%. And I'm sure they'll make sure that we never see anything that interesting. They will never, we'll never see a contact portion of practice ever again. <laughs> so, I hope not. I hope it doesn't get to that. That was good. People like to see that. People like to read about yeah. it. So, so to tell you uh, where the Hokies are at right now, I just opened Twitter and Derek Jones tweeted that moment that moment in training camp when everyone is trying to fight through being tired and beat up and Coach Price surprises them with a day at the pool. So clearly... He's not too upset about everything that happened yesterday. No, it's, it's, it's football practice. That's that happens in football practice all the time. Just you know, not usually in front of the media when it happens. <laughs> Jeff Holland has told us that they used to fight all the time in practice. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean it's, it's a physical competitive sport. You're going to get up in people's faces like that. It's bound to happen. Football is basically a controlled fight, with, with theoretically with technique and rules and things like that. But it's still trying to establish your physical dominance over somebody yeah. else, which is basic definition of, of a fight so it's it's not surprising to see extracurricular activity break out every now and then are there any chris are there any entertaining fights you remember observing during practice in the past i know in july you tweeted a picture of calvin klein and Dwayne alford going mm -hmm. at it in 2013 practice and jack tyler was just sitting in the background enjoying himself smiling yeah that was that was particularly funny because uh, they were both number 87 one was a defensive end wearing 87. The other was a tight end wearing 87. That, that was one of the funnier ones. Uh, a more high-profile one was, was when I was a student, and I worked for VTTV, and we were at a practice, and this was the spring of 2003, and they were playing. They are actually experimenting with D'Angelo Hall at wide receiver. So they're, they're, this is an open scrimmage back when anybody could just walk in and, and, uh, and watch a scrimmage. So the whole fan base could have seen this if they, they had shown up because it was right in the middle of Lane Stadium. But, uh, you know, D'Angelo goes out for a passing route. Uh, it's incomplete. Vinny Fuller's defending him, both future NFL defensive backs here. And they get into a fight. And uh, one of them's got the other in a headlock and the other's throwing punches up here like that. And uh, Beamer runs across the field with his megaphone yelling, hey, hey, see me after practice. And they get broken up and everything like that. And then after practice, while doing post-game interviews with the media on the 50-yard line, he actually puts them through up-downs during the middle of interviews. And he would interrupt himself to say, down. It'd be like, well, I thought we had a good practice today. Down. Got a lot accomplished. Down. <laughs> Still got a lot of work to do. Down. It was really, really unique. And Man, we used to have some interesting stuff on tape at VTTV because back then you could get into any practice. All you got to do is email them in advance and say, I'm coming to practice today. 
Okay. And you, they're, like I, I highly doubt they have old VHS copies in the VTTV office anymore. Oh, but if they do, and they haven't taped over them, there's a treasure trove of uh, stuff in there. Beamer was stone cold with those punishments uh-huh. back in the day. I remember just small stuff like that, or like you get a penalty in a game, and you're you're running do a bear crawls or whatever it is in preseason. He you didn't uh, slack on those doling out those kind of things. Yeah, it was. Uh, I think on the Wednesday morning punishments. You maybe had, yeah, it was like 6 a.m. practices or, or not practices, but like Beamer would show up and it was clear that Beamer didn't want to be there at six o'clock in the morning. Yeah. You know, at least not, <laughs> not, not doing making that. things any better when it, the coach it, doesn't want to be yeah. there. It's it, like, oh man, he's it, really going to put us through it at this exactly. point. I thought Jaden Keller, we spoke to him after practice yesterday, made a good logical point after practice in response to pry ripping into the team. He said, quote, that's a big emphasis this year because we've been there. We've done that. They've only heard, uh, they, they only hurt us. We're trying to learn to be stronger mentally. So we don't make those, Foolish penalties because every yard means everything in those type of games. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, how many games did they lose that that were one possession last year? Yeah, one possession. You know, that could ruin a possession right there. That kind of play would put you in what third and eighteen all of a sudden or something like that instead of getting a first down. So, yeah, when you, when your team that that plays and the margins are small like that, you can't make you can't give away uh, stuff like that and have self inflicted penalties and mistakes because those will add up and. Uh, you know, it's the difference between getting to a bowl game and maybe not getting to a bowl game if it comes down to to that small of margin. Did you do you like the chippiness? Like, like, yeah. like uh, I think it. I think it's it's. We all agree that it's good competition, but you just have to tone it back. Yeah. Um. I mean, you, there's a time and a place, of course. Uh, you like the aggressiveness, and ultimately, uh, this is going to sound like a joke. And it kind of is, but the offensive line really didn't, they didn't hit anybody last year. <laughs> it's good to see them hitting, right? Even if it's an illegal hit, uh, you like <laughs> to see the aggressiveness. And, but to take that on a serious note, this kind of turns the conversation. I, I think Rudolph's system was pretty complicated. And, and ultimately, I don't think Tech's offensive linemen, there's like a, two or three or four step system to how you block and what you do after this happens, et cetera. And that stuff is really difficult to master. And it's tough to really unleash when your mind is tying up your feet. And I don't think that system is good for young offensive linemen in particular. And which I tech has so many young offensive linemen on the field this year that I think if they were still doing that type of stuff on the offensive line this year, it would be an absolute disaster. Um, but I, I think they're, they're freed up a little bit more now. I think things are simplified for them and, you know, maybe, maybe that's a sign that they're, they're not thinking as much as they were last year. Let's transition to, to turnovers. Andy, you wrote a story earlier this week on Virginia Tech's defensive focus on forcing turnovers. Pry answered some questions on the topic last Friday. He mentioned how some of the staff members visited other places like Iowa and middle Tennessee to gather new perspectives. What was your biggest takeaway there? That they need to be a lot better at taking force and turnover. <laughs> when I before I dug into the numbers, I, I didn't realize it was that bad. Yeah. Last year. They only had nine for the season. And I was going back and looking and that's the fewest they've had since at least nineteen eighty five in a season. Uh that's pretty remarkable. I mean, they had four interceptions all season. And I, many, I remember many, three of them. I don't remember the four. Right. How many yeah. games do you remember where Virginia Tech had four interceptions when Bud was the defensive coordinator? All season they yeah. had four. 
Uh, I went back to 1975 on College Football Reference. That's as far back as they showed defensive stats on that. And there was never a season they had fewer than six. I think like 1987, possibly, they had six. There's a really low number in there. But that's just not Virginia Tech's defense. You think of DBU and this ball-hawking secondary, and they're getting the ball, and they just didn't have many of those opportunities last year. They didn't follow through on a lot of them. Now, some of it's luck. I mean, they had a pretty low fumble recovery rate for the number of times that the opponents put the ball on the ground. You would expect that to, to revert to the mean a little bit here. Uh, percentage of, of passes defended that actually turned interceptions, that was pretty low number two. Bill Connolly at ESPN.com uh, says they were under their projected interception total by about 52 just based on the number of passes they defended in the air. So maybe that the, those those numbers reverse themselves a little bit on their own, but Pry and his staff are making it a major emphasis this year that they need it because the, if your offense is struggling, you need to just give them more opportunities. And we saw what a, what a turnover last year could do, that Armani Chapman interception against Boston College. Second play of the game, sets up a touchdown in the first or second minute right there. That changed the entire tenor of the game. That was the only game that they played last year that they really felt comfortable from start to finish, or the only FBS game that was like that. So it's a way to change, turn the tide of a game. And Brett Pry has done that defensively before at previous stops, and I think they need to get this defense to do the same if they're really going to turn a corner this season. Chris, you've said before that turnovers are one of the biggest things that will impact the Hokies this season just because they're so minuscule and they can change the game in close games, I guess, in, in small moments. Tech ranked 129th in turnover margin last year. Historically, Brent Pry's defenses have been good at forcing turnovers. Kind of like what Andy mentioned, do you expect a regression to the mean this year? You would think so. I mean, just I think there's more playmakers in general. I mean, Derek Canteen, albeit at a lower level, but he has led the nation in interceptions before. Um, you've got more of a natural pass rusher uh, in there, an APR is what they're calling him. I'll still tie that to academic, academic progress rate. Yeah, that's how I hear it. But uh, I just think some of it, you know, it'll be re- reverting to the mean. Some of it is just more experience in the system and just adding talent to the program. You know, it's, it's interesting. Like Tech last year got a reputation for being a turnover-prone offense, but nobody really said anything about the defense during the season. But then the season ends and you actually look at the stats and the defense is 129th and turnovers forced. And the offense is 32nd and turnovers given up, which is a pretty good number. Um, so it's actually the opposite of what people would say during the course of the season. So uh, I, I think if, if the offense can stay 32nd in the country, which is a good, very good, respectable number, and the defense can improve to just middle of the pack, you look at last season and how many close games there were, how many times that would have, could have been the difference in the game. And uh, I, I, so I think there's an opportunity to improve there tremendously this year. And that'll be critical because you look at Tech's schedule and you just don't see very many offenses on it that scare you. And while Tech's offense should be and I'm sure will be improved, we don't know exactly how much they're going to be improved. Maybe they'll be 60th, maybe they'll be 90th. Who knows? Um, but I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of shootouts this year on the schedule, I wouldn't think. You know, you're going to see some some games in the in the 20s, and where both teams are in the 20s, and neither team is so much better than the other from a talent standpoint that they're able to blow the other team off the field. So games like that are going to come down to things like field position and 
turnovers. You don't think Rutgers, Virginia Tech's going to be a track meet? I think it might be like the Russell Athletic Bowl in I think, 2012. That was 10 to nothing at the end of the third quarter. The worst football game I think I've seen here. And that includes the 6 to 3 double overtime yeah. Wake Forest. Like yeah. that, that, that athletic, Russell Athletic Bowl was worst offensively, I felt like. Yeah. You know, there, there, there's been a few times during the scoring streak where during the middle of the game, you're like, okay. Scoring streak is about to end. So the Rutgers game was one of them. Zero points at the, at the end of uh, the third quarter. Obviously, the weight game, zero points at the end of regulation. And then last year, zero points in the end of the third quarter against There were a Miami. couple times you're like, can this streak, like, hey, it's hey, the most hey, useless hey, hey. stack. Can Miami, this streak just die so they stop bringing yep. it up? Miami 2014 was another where uh, the starting offense actually didn't score. It was 30 to nothing Miami. It was a complete blowout. And the backup, like Mark Lee all threw a touchdown pass with like a minute left and tech lost 30 to six and mm. there so that streak has held on by a thin line there was also the 38 to seven lost to Pitt in 2001 tech scored on a block field goal that they returned oh, for a okay. touchdown so the offense didn't score and also they had a fumble return for a touchdown in 2003 in that West Virginia game that they lost 28-7. to And if replay had existed, that fumble would not have stood. So hmm. you're saying we should wipe out the scoring streak. <laughs> it ended in Morgantown. Take that off the game notes. Don't <laughs> yeah. make that like a thing in the game notes anymore. Okay, I got you. Yeah. Now I will say, like, I wouldn't think that the scoring – I think the offense should be improved enough where the – we shouldn't be having this conversation at any point this season about the scoring streak being broken, but you know I don't want to, don't want to make that guarantee. So one quick note on the turnovers, you we've mentioned this before. Virginia Tech threw nine picks all season, and four of those came in the very first game mm-hmm. against Old Dominion, meaning in the other ten games, Virginia Tech only threw five interceptions. Mm-hmm. That's what half an interception yep. per game. Yep. So I, like. It, I think it's important to paint it in, in the perspective of Virginia Tech didn't turn all, turn the ball over a ton. It was really just that first game yeah. in Norfolk where everything seemed to go. I mean, everything from the elevator to uh, to the pl- clock management, everything seemed to just be a complete disaster. And the thing is, like they, they barely turned it over at all after that game, but the offense was so bad that whenever they did, it was critical because yeah. you could. It wasn't good enough to overcome a turnover, and there was only one other game I would say where they had issues with turnovers, and that was the Georgia Tech game. You know, if you recall, you know Kelly Lawson gets that interception for a touchdown, which is one of the few defensive game-changing plays they made all year, and then they've got a chance to go up two scores. They're up twenty-seven to sixteen. They're like inside the ten-yard line. They, for, part, first, right? they missed a field goal that would have made it thir- uh, thirty to sixteen. Then Kashawn King fumbled mm-hmm. inside the 10 when they were they could have put him up by two scores. Then there was an interception that I think deflected off Lofton's hands and Georgia Tech intercepted. Then Tech and, 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 and then, and then Tech there was a fumble. And then Wells fumbled on the last possession. So there were three, three turnovers in like one quarter in that game. Mm-hmm. And then five turnovers total in the first game against Old Dominion. Other than that, like I'm trying to re- remember... I don't just don't remember very many. There was, but a, there was there's a pick six against West there Virginia. There was a pick six. That, the game was pretty much decided. That, that was that a point. point where, like, I think at that point, Tech had barely had a first down right. since the first quarter. You're down by two scores. you got to take risks at that point. I think that was more what that was about than anything else. Uh, so they didn't have many turnovers last year. When they did have them, they were extremely costly. But I, I think 
the main issue there was like the offense just couldn't move the ball. How many times did I say last week that Tech got into the red zone last year? Didn't it? 36 or not something? Yet. Yeah, it not was, enough. It was barely any at all. And so when you're not able to get the ball in the red zone and score points, then every turnover that you have is magnified because you need as many opportunities as you, as you can to score. Let's transition and talk about the offensive line. Uh, I think we all agree that it's the biggest question mark heading into the fall. Here's what the two groups looked like on Wednesday. From left to right, the ones, Xavier Chaplin, Braylon Moore, Caden Moore, Bob Schick, and Parker Clements. That's been the same group all camp. The twos, Laith Ganim, Johnny Dixon, Jack Caulifield, Brody Meadows, and Griffin Duggan. Note that Johnny Garrett was at practice in street clothes. No Clayton Frady in the ones and twos. Does anything else stick out to you guys? You want to I think it? they're I think they're giving Brody Meadows every opportunity to win a starting job here. I mean, they moved him to, to left guard a little bit, and all of a sudden he's at the right guard spot. That's been the, the big question mark that they've had had so far. Uh, I think they just like what he does, and the way Pry talked about him last week. We're playing guard. There's a few, you know fewer liabilities that would show up when he's playing tackle. They maybe like him more at that spot right now. But, uh, you know, we, we saw the inside run drill the other other day, and Narelle Pollard went right past Bob Schick on one of the first plays and, and got a play in the backfield. I still think that right guard spot is, is open for business. And if somebody can jump up and seize that spot, uh, you know, the coaches will give them that opportunity. So, uh, yeah, Met- Meadows, I think, is, is an interesting one to watch. I'm curious if he continues to, to get in the mix there. Uh, Met- I've had my eye on him since the spring. I thought he was he had a good spring game. If you go back and rewatch the spring game, it, it was he had a good performance at left tackle. Remember, Xavier Chaplin didn't play in the spring game. But he also played left guard and right guard some in the spring game. And going back to high school, there were questions like, he has the size of a tackle, and he played tackle in high school, so he was listed as a tackle. But there were questions about his – lateral ability and can he pass block quick defensive ends I, I i think he's better suited for a guard his physical abilities are better suited for guard even though he looks like a tackle that, that that's just that's my that's my impression of him as a player i also think you know he's a good prospect he's a red shirt freshman just like xavier chaplin what's the point of having two guys in the same class at that position um, I, I think uh, so. I, I think at some point Brody Meadows is going to be a starter. I don't know whether that's going to be this year or down the line, but he can't be a starter if he's the career backup to Xavier Chaplin at left tackle, right? Uh, so I, I don't know if he'll start the first game. It would not shock me if he started at some point this year. I think he'll be worked into the rotation very, very early, probably the first game. Um, but here's the thing, though: like you want to put your five best players on the field if at all possible, as, as an offensive line coach. And they're just trying to determine whether he's one of their best five right now. Um, you, Tech right now starts two redshirt freshmen at left tackle and left guard. That's not ideal. You want to put your five best guys out there, but if he's one of your best five, that means you're starting three redshirt freshmen on the offensive line. And that's extreme. And your center has never played center before. So it, that's that's a difficult situation to be in. Vance Vice made it work in 2019 as well as you could be expected with the freshman at center, right guard, and right tackle. And actually, two of those were true freshmen. That was the amazing part of it. Um, but that's that's the exception rather than the rule. And that's why I'm really glad that I think Tech's blocking is 
a little more simplified now under under Ron Crook. I, I don't think the Joe Rudolph system was conducive to freshmen coming in and playing early because there's just so much to learn. It'd be one thing if you're starting all those retro freshmen instead of all these veteran guys, but there just aren't that many veteran guys, yeah, exactly. especially with Jesse Hansen medically retiring. You know, Schick is technically a veteran guy just because I think he's a, a junior. He's also like status, 24 years old. Yeah, he, he just hasn't played yeah, a lot, though. Yeah, I mean, he hasn't, yeah. hasn't gotten a lot of snaps out there. So it's not like you're he's usurping this position from a guy that's been played for three years and a thousand snaps or something like that. They just don't have guys like that on the roster. You mentioned backing up Xavier Chaplin. That's a good point. Uh, good time to talk about true freshman Lath Ganim. He was a guy that um, that Pry said, "quote His upside is tremendous." Last Friday, he said he's also a true swing guy, kind of like Brody Meadows. Do you guys see Ganim playing this year, or would it only be out of need or due to injury? Do you think? I mean, it would be ideal to redshirt him, but I, I you got to think they're right now. I would consider that probably not going to happen. Um, you could do it if, if like, Xavier Chaplin stays 100% healthy. Um, you could play him in the four-game minimum and then after that hope that Chaplin didn't get hurt. But then if he got hurt, then you'd have to burn the red shirt. It's like sort of like they played Tucker Holloway against Wofford last year when they probably shouldn't have because then at the end of the season they had to make that decision. Does he play against Liberty or does he not to burn the red shirt? Well, if they hadn't played him – in a meaningless game against Wofford, he could have played against Liberty and then still redshirted, right? So I know everybody wants all the freshmen to play in these uh, early season blowout games. Tech doesn't have any definite early season blowout games this year, though, so yeah, it shouldn't be an le- issue. Left tackle feels like it's a different situation than receiver, though. Like, you could get by at receiver uh, with just, like, putting somebody out there. Mm-hmm. It's not like... You do that, and all of a sudden your quarterback's in danger like that. Right. Left tackle, you have to have somebody prepared and ready to play. So I think you do everything you can to prepare Ganwin to be the guy that has to go in if something mm-hmm. were to happen to Chaplin. And then if something does happen later on the line and you have to burn the shirt, then you're ready for it. Right. Uh, but I don't think you can go into a season and go like, uh, we'd like to hold him out into the last four games just in case because he won't be ready at that point. You'll right. be in, in, in some deep trouble. Uh, if that happens. So uh, this is actually a mailbag question that I got about guys that are going to be on that four-game threshold. I think that they would like to redshirt again if they can, but I don't know if the reality will present itself uh, just with him being on a two-deep at, at a at a serious spot. Always be redshirting. Yeah, and I almost wore that shirt today. <laughs> um, you wrote your offensive line preview on Tuesday, Chris. One of the points that you mentioned was that if this was a game preview and you wrote that the opponent returns just two starters – and only one of which has game reps at the position he's playing in 2023, Parker Clements, you'd feel good about the Hokies' chances in that game if that was the opponent. This is a very young young and experienced offensive line. We know that. But Brandon Patterson pointed out that Ron Crook has done a good job with those kinds of groups before, where he's kind of messed, you know, played around a little bit and gotten guys that haven't necessarily had the experience. He's gotten them to play well as a unit. What do you expect come September 2nd? I think they'll, despite their youth, I think they'll play better than last year's offensive line. Just how much better is, is the question. I thought the starting group, minus Xavier Chaplin, you know, with, with Meadows in there, I thought they blocked well in the spring game. Granted, it was mostly against Tech's backup defense. But when you think back to last year, like they struggled to block Wofford last year. So who won one game? In the FCS, it was not a good football team. And 
so to me, successfully blocking Tech's defense and the Tech's backup defense in the spring game is actually a step forward. And I think they'll perform uh, a, a bit better than they did last year. How much better? I just don't know. Uh, there, there was one passage in the Brandon Patterson article where he talked about the one year at Cincinnati when they started a former minor league hockey player at right guard, a former basketball player with one year of football experience at right tackle, uh, a kid from Europe at left tackle who had barely played football before. Just, it was a scrapped together offensive line. He, he picked up a bunch of parts from the junkyard and somehow put it together and made a car in Cincinnati, won 11 games that year. And I think you're better, you're more likely to do something like that under Crook than you are with, with Rudolph, who's looking for very specific things. And and quite frankly, you know, you have to design your plays and, and you have to call plays in a way that keeps the defense guessing. Like you need motion, you need misdirection. That helps out your offensive line. You can't just sit there and pound it between the tackles and then run play action because it's, it, you know, it's, it's easy for the defense to target specific area of the fields and that ma- that makes it a lot tougher on offensive linemen that that's one way tech was able to get around starting three freshman offensive linemen in 2019 is they ran so much misdirection particularly in in the, in the passing game with Hendon Hooker I mean of course everybody remembers the Miami game with Dalton Keene running wide open so many times in that game just because there was so much misdirection and that's the type of offense you need to have when you're starting two or three freshmen on the offensive line also, it helps when Christian Derrissaw is a future first-round draft pick. <laughs> yep, you, you've got future first-round draft pick on this line. And uh, Lasita Smith right next to him, who's in the yeah, NFL. Lasita. Uh, right, and then you've got... Was Tenuta? Tenuta was a right tackle, who's in the NFL, but he was he was a freshman. And then, yeah, was that the year Brock played or sat out? Sat. Okay. Sat. Uh, you had Brian Hudson starting in center, and you had Doug Nestor, Nestor starting at right guard. Okay. Yeah. yeah. There's some other guys. Some pretty good talent yeah, in that room back in the yeah, day. Was, was. Uh, let's touch on some some few notes, including some injuries. Um, running back Bayshaw Tootin has a minor deal right now. He was in a brace at practice on Wednesday, but he was participating. Uh, wide receiver Tucker Holloway was not at practice and was deemed unavailable on Wednesday. I don't believe he was there last week either when we saw him on Friday. As previously mentioned, offensive lineman Johnny Garrett was not dressed out. Tight end Daquan Wright was back after missing some time last week. And I thought it was interesting. Uh, we Brent Pry did not speak to us yesterday, so we didn't get clarification. But Kelly Lawson wasn't repping with the ones or twos yesterday. Um, he was there, but not with the first two groups. Uh, something to keep an eye on. And he looked, he looked healthy and moving at full speed. Um, just wanted to throw those notes out there before we get into the two deep on defense. But first, we also have an update on Stone Snyder, which, as you said, feels like forever ago. It was only last week. Um, the linebacker transferred to Virginia Tech from VMI in the offseason, but he's no longer with the team. Price seemed to put it pretty plainly last week. Snyder just wanted to move on to the next chapter of his life. Yeah, I think it might be a situation where he got here and is going to be an uphill climb on the depth chart, possibly. I don't know. It was, it was so so brief that you don't really have a, a good sense of where he was going to stand there. But I think they like what they have in Keller and McDonald and those guys uh, repping with the ones and twos at, at Mike Linebacker. And, you know, athleticism might have played a little in, into it. Uh, Snyder not as big, not as fast as those guys. But the way Pry talked about Snyder at the ACC kickoff, Sound like he was excited about the possibility of him being here, and he put it, he said it in the statement. He's like, I can't say I'm not a little disappointed uh, that this didn't uh, have a chance to play out, but uh, I don't think they're lacking for linebacker options. Yeah, I heard he reported pretty out of shape, and when you're behind athletically already, 
that doesn't help things. So I think that disappointed Pry, as he put it. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'm uh, if Snow, if Snyder had come in here and been in the two deep, like I think both Keller and McDonald have potential. But you know, once you get into the latter stages of the preseason and into the season, you know your third team doesn't get very many reps. You're trying to prepare the guys who are going have a good chance to play in a game. Generally, you're not going to need a, your third teamer in a game unless there's a massive injury issue. So it's just the first two teams who generally get reps, real practice reps throughout the course of the season. And I, I wasn't interested in, like, if Snyder had come in and earned a spot in the two deep, then one of those guys was going to be bumped down to third string, which would limit his reps. And those guys are redshirt sophomores. They need to be getting a lot of reps and playing now to progress. I think, and uh, I wasn't interested, too interested in blocking their long-term progress with a one-year rental. What I like about what Tech has done in the transfer portal this year is, with the exception of Ollie Jennings, everybody's got at least two years left that, that, that they brought in, so there aren't one-year rentals. Like they, they can play this year and get familiar with the system and then theoretically be even better next year. That wasn't going to be the case with Snyder. He was going to be in and out, and I, I, I'd rather play the guys – that have a uh, long-term potential. So I'm not, I'm not bothered by it. Like, like some people seem to be. So now we're going to go through the two deep on defense. I'll read through the guys who are repping with the ones and twos yesterday. And I'd like you to tell me what you like and what concerns you. Remember that Lawson was not with either group yesterday. So that shook some things up at linebacker. Mm-hmm. The first team defense yesterday at defensive line, Antoine Powell, Ryland, Josh Fuga, Norrell Pollard, and Cole Nelson. Now, Keyshawn Burgos was repping with both the first and the second teams. I think he could be a, a guy that could get some minutes there and challenge for that first spot. Uh, at linebacker, Jaden Keller, Jaden McDonald, and Keonta Jenkins. At cornerback, Dorian Strong and Monsoor Delane. And at safety, Nasir Peoples and Jalen Stroman. Anything stick out to you there? I, I Burgess is a little something different than they have at the, at the other defensive end spots. He's got more length. You know, he's six five. He's six five, and if you look at him, his his arms are really really long. They're like Kelly Lawson arms, and that's important for a defensive end because it's so much about reach. And that offensive lineman is trying to get his hands on you, but if you have long arms, that helps you stay away from him. Um, I I think that. Combined with his, he was a very, very good high school wrestler, so he understands things, you know, toughness and leverage and one-on-one battles. I mean, that's what wrestling is all about. So I think he's probably got a higher long-term ceiling than Cole Nelson. But Cole Nelson was an extremely consistent player for Tech last year. I mean, if you just go look at his PFF grades throughout the season, it's like... This, almost the same grade every week. I mean, you know exactly what you're getting from Cole Nelson. He's exactly who I thought he was as a player. He's a good one-gap defender, not a particularly dynamic pass rusher. He's, he's a very similar player to, like, Nikos Brown, who was a starting defensive end for some very good Virginia Tech defenses back in the day. But I do think uh, Burgos has a higher long-term ceiling. It's just how consistent is he right now? And I, th- I think they're really trying to figure that out. They're giving him a lot of reps with, with the first-team defense. But uh, I didn't see anything there that surprised me. It seems like a solid group to me. I mean, you look at it, and there's no glaring holes uh, of, of all those 11 that you mentioned there. Whereas last year, you look at cornerback, and you go, mm, I don't know if you got two guys that you can trust there. And uh, you know, defensive end, you have enough options there. And I feel like they've, they've shored that up 
pretty well this year. Defensive tackles a year more experienced with the same guys on the interior. So uh, I just think, uh, you know, one to 11, they probably feel a little bit better about the starting old starting guys that they have out there than they did last year. Yeah. I think when you look at, look at it from a depth perspective last year, Jordan McDonald was their fifth defensive end as a redshirt freshman, a high school safety, right? He was their fifth defensive end. Well, he's still probably their fifth defensive end right now, but he's a redshirt sophomore, much more experienced player, an older player, now a stronger player. So he's going to be a better version of Jordan McDonald this year, and he's still the fifth defensive end, which shows that they're going to be deeper this year at that position. And you could say the same thing at defensive tackle. You know, uh, the top three guys were very good last year. There's a drop-off to the fourth guy in Panay. But now you got Phil Darius Payne in there. kind of sounds like he's probably ahead of Panay. Or uh, at the very least will be used as a defensive tackle in obvious passing situations. He's a former defensive end at Nebraska. So uh, I, th- I think you've got more depth at both positions this year which is really helpful. Yeah, and, and that Will spot last year was huge question mark early in the season with Tisdale suspended. You know, is Keller a Will? Is, uh, you know, Would they start four guys there? I think McDonald, did McDonald start there in the opener? Yep, yeah. yep. And uh, I think Keller started. I, did they, I think they started Will Johnson there in the UNC game, or at least played. Yeah, I can't remember. He, he played Mike and Will in that game. But yeah. anyway, they used four they, Wills. They, they didn't the have an answer they, for they, it. No, they used five because Tisdale played it. Too when he came off yeah. suspension, so there so was a revolving of, door. Lots of mixing and matching. Yeah, yeah. well, so let's get into that. Here's the second team defense at defensive line: C.J. McCray, Wilfred Panay, Mario Kendricks, Keyshawn Burgos. At linebacker, again, no Kelly Lawson. True freshman George Balance at Mike Allen Tisdale at Will Caleb Woodson at Star. Derek Canteen and Dante Lovett are the cornerbacks. Mose Phillips and Jalen Jones at safety. What's your main takeaway there? George Balance, man. Now, we talk about walk-ons. There's not as many these days because of camps, and it's, you know, guy, not as many guys slip through the cracks. But Jeff Balance has been extremely impressive as a walk-on, even dating back to the spring. He was good in the you spring. George? Yeah, George. Who? What did I say? Jeff. Jeff is his dad. No. I was going to get to that later. <laughs> so so he, his dad played at Tech in the, in the okay. 80s. So you're saying he's a new Balance. A new Balance. Ooh. Damn, Andy. That's impressive. <laughs> that's terrible. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, his, his brother Matt uh, was on the baseball team here. Uh, he's been very impressive so far. Uh, looks like a good natural football player. Um could see time on special teams this year, but you know, he looks like a guy normally walk-ons these days are guys that just they're practice squad players and special teams players. And very few of them break into the two deep. There's just a higher level of scouting at the high school level now. So a guy like John Engelberger, who was a walk-on these days, he would get scouted more in high school and would therefore become a scholarship player. People would realize his talents earlier. So more, not as many guys slip through the cracks, but uh, Balance is a guy who uh, maybe slip through the crack is, a, is the wrong word because he's a tech guy. He's a tech family. I think he was you know coming to tech regardless. But uh, it's exciting, it's exciting to see. And if you like to pay attention to what the walk-ons are doing, he's the walk-on you should be paying attention to. Yeah, I think the, the cornerback group stands out to me. And then uh, who wasn't the, the – it was uh, – So, Strong and Delane with the first group. And right. then Derek Canteen and Dante Lovett, who's Lovett a freshman with, with the twos. Well, we talked to Derek Jones afterwards. He was saying numbers four, five, and six at the cornerback spots are probably true freshmen right now. So, it shows you they feel great about those top three. And then the experience level drops off completely to get to those true freshmen behind them. 
uh, you know, if anything happens to that top three, it's going to be a very, very young group that they're going to be trying to get into the game and, and get used to the college ball. So I think that's something to keep an eye on right now. Yeah, I, I, I do. Th- I will say this. I think it's impressive when you've got the former national leader in interceptions operating with the second team defense. At corner. Now he's I getting, think he's a, technically a starter at nickel. Correct. And he'll play yeah. a but, lot. But, but, you know, uh, they got three very, very good corners there. And, you know, let, let, let's face it. Like, how many teams actually their fourth or fifth corner is like a really good player, especially in the days of the transfer portal? I mean, this is a – it's this is, Virginia Tech situation is not unique. I, I would say the, the, the most unique is, again, Derek – Canteen is the third cornerback, and he's good enough to be a top two cornerback for the vast majority of teams. I think uh, Dante Lovett's a guy who I completely trust. Would if he wins the job. I mean, those are the other true freshmen are playing pretty well too. But he's the guy I thought, from a size standpoint, an ability standpoint, the fact that he came to math to Damatha, he's been my number one pick to be the fourth corner this year, and will help out on special teams. Yeah, and that's what Derek Jones kind of told me when I asked. He said he's just physically more yeah. ahead. Um, last question here before we take a quick break and pause for a second. Derek Jones and, and Keller, Jaden Keller spoke to the media yesterday. I thought one of the interesting things was Jones mentioned that Dorian Strong's been working at some nickel. Monsoor Delane and Derek Canteen have both worked at a little bit nickel and safety. He said he they want to get their best defensive backs on the field at, at once. I feel like that's pretty exciting especially knowing that, like you said, Derek Canteen led the nation in interceptions a couple years ago. We saw what Juan Sword Delane can do. Dorian Strong seems like an all-ACC corner. What do you make of that? Yeah, you know, uh, I, I think, you know, I want to look at Keonta Jenkins at, at, the, at the star position. And normally Brent Pry at Penn State a lot of times would play a traditional linebacker at that position. I mean, I'm talking about a Brandon Smith. 6'3", 240-pound guy at the star position. Normally that third linebacker for Pry is a true linebacker. Um, that's not the case. I mean, Jenkins is a former safety at Virginia Tech and is still more safety size than linebacker size. You don't necessarily have to pull him off the field in, 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 a, uh, in a passing situation. If you feel like he's actually a better coverage option than one of your safeties, then when it's third and 12, you know, you you can bring in an extra defensive back if there if one of your safeties is you don't feel good about a certain coverage matchup against a certain team. You could put in an extra corner at safety. I mean, Mansoor Delane can play safety. Derek Canteen can play safety. Uh, you know, and if if you're a cornerback, you can play nickel in in a third and long situation for sure. I mean, that's basically what the position is. Uh, it's all about establishing versatility and. Uh, I think switching back and forth between positions isn't as big a deal for for defensive backs. Uh, it's a bigger deal at, like linebacker. Like I'm still like I understand why they do it, and they probably do have to do it to a certain extent. But when you are really trying to teach Jaden McDonald and Jaden Keller the Mike position, they're still very young players who were safeties in high school, but yet you're still repping them at will. Like like I. It's understandable to now, in hindsight, to see why those two players didn't make very much progress last year. They're very, very young players. And in McDonald's case, I think at some point from from spring of 2022 through the end of the season, he played all three linebacker positions. How are you supposed to learn and get good at one when you're playing all of them, right? So I would still – I would like to keep – I would like them to keep the cross-training to a bare minimum at uh, – at linebacker. At linebacker. And I think you can afford to do that because you've got Alan, a sixth-year guy in Alan Tisdale who 
he should be able to be your swing guy that you can play at multiple positions. And so that, that concerns me a little bit. Uh, but at the same time, those guys will be better players this year just because of experience. I think in the secondary, that cross-training sort of speaks to that second group that we were talking about. There's a clear top five in terms of uh, experience and, you know, Canteen, Strong, Delane, and then Peoples and Stroman at safety. And then behind them, I mean, we mentioned the young cornerbacks. The safeties are pretty young, too, or inexperienced. I mean, Moe Phillips is a true freshman. Jalen Jones just switched over to defense in the, in the winter. So I think they, they don't want to be caught in a situation where, oh, somebody's been injured, we just have to put a freshman in next, or we have to put this guy in next because he's next on the depth chart. They want to go, we're going to go with the next best option, and that might be moving Monsoor over from cornerback, and then all of a sudden Canteen's in the starting lineup at cornerback. So they're going to have that that versatility in those options, and I think that's what they're striving for. We probably don't talk about Stroman enough. I mean, he was the defensive MVP in the spring, and, and there's a lot of good defensive backs on this team. And Kelly Lawson's a very exciting young linebacker and a lot of very experienced defensive tackles. But Stroman was defensive MVP of the spring, and I thought he was the best defensive player on the field in the spring game. Um, so excited to see what he can bring to the table this year. Before we continue, it's a great time to remind you that this show is brought to you by the Hokie Way. The Hokie Way's countdown to kickoff matching donations campaign is underway. This fun drive is critically important to Virginia Tech NIL. The first $250,000 in donations will be matched. Visit thehokieway.org to learn more and to donate. Thank you so much to the Hokie Way and First Bank and Trust Company for their sponsorship of the Tech Sideline podcast. Uh, before we get to some some questions, and we've got a, a number of them, uh, just some content update and notes for the week. Um, the Virginia Tech women's soccer team opens its season at Butler tonight on Thursday, 7 p.m. Eastern. Um, Carter Hill and I, who's behind the scenes producing today, we interviewed goalkeeper Elias Skinner on this week's Triumph Spotlight, which you can find on our feed. I also caught up with a few of the players and head coach Chuck Gradare, um, and I'm putting out a story this afternoon to preview their season, so you can go check that out later. Uh, men's soccer opens the season next week at the JMU Invitational in Harrisonburg. I caught up with head coach Mike Brizendine and a few players last week and published a story on Tuesday, which you should go read at TechSideline.com. And the last piece, the men's basketball non-conference schedule was released on Tuesday afternoon. We won't get into it since we're a ways away from hoop season, um, but if you want to go find out more, go check out the story on our site. Let's get into some questions. I've got a number of them here. Uh, we'll start on the message boards. VT Towney asks, what have you seen at practice that has excited you and what makes you nervous? You know, like it's like I said earlier, we don't get in there enough to really see stuff that counts, that you can really take something out of. Uh, I actually was excited by the fight yesterday. It was good to see that, <laughs> that kind of spirit. Um, I think... In very, very, very brief action that we've seen them. I've, I've been impressed by true freshman wide receiver Aiden Green. I think he's a natural. I think he's a very good route runner, catches the ball in traffic, good hands. Uh, I, I don't know how – Like it sounds like right now he's ahead of the other true freshman receivers, except for maybe Heath, although Green's more versatile. He can play inside or outside. Um, but, you know, ultimately we, we just got, we don't get a chance to see them playing real football enough for me to be overly excited about one thing or, like, even overly worried about another thing. We don't get to see very much 11-on-11 football. I think I, you know, just from where I was going into camp and what I think now, I feel a little bit better about the defensive line. 
just in terms of the number of guys that can contribute there. Uh, you know, Burgos coming along helps that. APR, what he's brought, I think helps that. And then, you know, Payne coming back and, and adding even more depth to that defensive tackle spot. I think that all uh, goes into the pot of making you feel better about that group. I, I, I still I look at the offensive line and I go, is it going to come together this year? And they, they're still trying to find that right guard. I think that's an ongoing process, and that doesn't mean that the other spots are necessarily locked up because it, it's just so much inexperience there. So, I mean, you, we've seen seasons and teams that get derailed because the offensive line can't do much because it affects the entire operation of the offense. I mean, it's it's run game can't go and can't get going, pass game, quarterback can't get comfortable back there. It sort of makes everything go, and until they solve that here, I think that the offense is still going to be a pretty big question mark. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I'll also comment like I was worried about safety depth, and now you hear so many good things about Mose Phillips, and I know he's a true freshman, but you just hear a lot of good things. And then Jalen Jones is a guy that's drawn some praise, is a guy who's made a lot of progress, obviously moving over from wide receiver. So I feel better about safety depth, particularly with so many corners who also have the physical capability of playing safety. I feel better about that than I did before the season. A uh, little concerned about the, the drop balls you hear about on the offensive side. But More on I'll, that in this week's Friday Q&A. Exactly. Uh, if you examine the career drop rates for certain tech-wide receivers – they're quite high. I mean, two years ago, Ali Jennings almost led the country in drop percentage, and Dewan Lofton has a career drop rate of around 20%. It's like one in every five passes that have hit him in the hands in his career, he's dropped. So when you look at those numbers, it's not a surprise that you're hearing that there are more drops. And and one of the reasons they're like, like Stephen Gosnell is going to be in the rotation. I mean, he's a good player, but I like I look at him and I see Mr. Reliable. His drop rate for his career is 0%. When you throw it to him and it's an accurate throw, you can rely on him to catch the football. So some of some of my – I think Tech's wide receiver core is much better this year, but I think there will be certain players in this group that at times seem like boom or bust players. Uh, staying on the offensive line, VT Amahai asked, I hear about – Coach Crook's blocking schemes making it easier on the offensive line. What does that mean from the rest of the offense's perspective, especially tight ends and running backs? I also what it mean what I also wonder what it means for opponent defenses. Is Crook's scheme easier to defend and cause havoc? He's, uh, when we say more simple, we're talking more technique, not about not necessarily what type of blocking scheme they're running. It's how you attack a defender and what you do after the initial contact. Uh, my understanding is, is that Rudolph had a longer and more strict set of rules on how you block somebody. Crook's a little more... It's basically attack him, and then if the defender's going in this direction, well, then by all means, you help him go in that direction, right? Uh, so it's a little more simple and easier to, to understand, and I think you can play at a higher level as a younger player under him th th than you could under Rudolph. That's my interpretation of it. But I, I don't think it affects anything. Uh, like, it's it's not going to say... If, if, if Tech's... Excuse me. If, if opposing defenses are able to tee off on Tech's offense this year, it's going to be because of... Tyler Bowen schematically than the offensive the, line. than the offensive line the technique they're using and things like that. D Mangano CLT Hokey asks, 
and Andy, I'll tee you up for this one. Looks like the wide receiver could be the strength of the offense, which you want to maximize by playing your best passing quarterback in Wells. Looks like the offensive line is the weakness, which you want to limit exposure and have your most athletic quarterback in drones. What is the tipping point for making the quarterback decision? Ideally, drones becomes a better passer and there's no issue, but how would you answer it? And he said, bonus points for jumping right to the shiny new option of Pop Watson. Uh, kidding, <laughs> but I expect to hear fans to uh, I expect to hear fans to say that around week five and six. Yeah, I mean, that's sort of a sticky wicket there with the offense trying to, to sort that whole thing out. Um, you know, I don't think Wells is a terrible runner. Yeah, he moves better than people think. Uh, he ran the ball better late last season, and actually uh, was a, a real, you know, boost to the offense in certain situations. So, uh, I think he's capable of doing that. I don't think you'd make a quarterback decision just based on, oh, we've got to be a triple option team all of a sudden. I think it's, four, I think for his career, I ran these numbers recently. I think it's four point seven yards per carry for his career on design runs. Yeah, I mean that, that's yeah. pretty good. Yeah. I mean it's not he's not going to win the Heisman doing that, but that's you know that's not what you're looking for. I think the key though and 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 those receivers do have such potential on this team is you you have to bring them into the offense. You have to have a guy that can get them the ball and and I'm not going to say that's definitively Wells over Drones right now because again we we haven't seen a lot of the 11 on 11 stuff, but you know, where they finished in the spring, Wells was ahead in that regard, and he's the more experienced passer and in, in, in the system. So uh, my guess would it, it would still be Wells, but because of Drones' other abilities, I think that's a reason why, you know, Pry said before, you know, if they start a game in the, in the summer, Wells would start, but Drones would play. I, I haven't seen anything that would really change my mind about that being the setup coming into the season. But, again, we'll see. We, we, you know, once, once we get into actual – you know, 11 on 11, more scrimmage stuff. I think they'll have a better idea of how they're going to break this stuff down. Right right now, it's still, to me at least, when we're at practice, it appears to be a, a pretty even split between the two. Back in the Berg asks, are there any players on the roster you could see switching from offense to defense or vice versa? The first player that comes to mind for me is Chance Black, who seemed like Brent Pry was literally trying to force him to, or not force him, but but he will, he was like, oh, yeah, cornerback's a great option. For you. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I think I'm good with him staying. I think he's the ultimate tweener um, between running back, wide receiver, corner. I think he's a good all-around athlete. He's still getting reps. You know, it's still undecided on who the third running back is. But right now he's at least third because Tootin's been out. Right, so are you 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 gonna send your third running back over to the defense to be the fourth corner? I mean, your third running back is more likely to play than your fourth corner. Um, I don't think he's going to move at this point. Um, I there I don't think there will be any position changes through through fall camp. At least if there are, it's going to be somebody who's well down the depth chart, like a a freshman who's going to redshirt no matter what, who they might try on a different side of the ball. You know, obviously, I, I, Gunnar Givens has always been talked about as an offensive lineman. Most colleges wanted him as an offensive lineman. He was adamant that he wanted to play on the defensive line. Um, uh, you can't afford to move him right now because you've got three senior defensive tackles and you didn't sign any defensive tackles in the previous recruiting class. So 
that even if you wanted to make that move right now, I don't think you could do it because you need to try and develop the young defensive tackles, and that's going to influence how many defensive tackles you go after in the transfer portal. Same thing for like a guy like Lamar Law, who's 6'5", 330 pounds. It's a non-traditional Virginia Tech defensive tackle size. And what Tech does lack on the offensive line, I would say, is a guy with like pure size, uh, or at least not too many of them. Uh, Chaplin, Chaplin has Chaplin's great size. <laughs> Me- Me- Meadows has really good size, which is, in a way, that he brings that to the table. Like Besides Chaplin, there's currently no other starter at Virginia Tech over 305 pounds. And, and, and if you look at like a UNC offensive line, for example, their smallest starter is 305 pounds, and he's the only one below 315. Tech's offensive line is a little smaller, I think, than, than your average offensive line. I would like to see a little more size added to it. But again, he's a defensive tackle, and you can't afford to be moving defensive tackles right now, even the ones that are down the depth chart, because you have to give those guys a chance to develop. Because right now, you have to assume that you're going to need them next year at defensive tackle because, uh, because you know, you definitely lose um, Pollard. You definitely lose Kendricks. Fugo's got his COVID year, but you have no idea whether he'll use it or not. Yeah, I think at this stage, anybody moving offense to defense or defense to offense is not going to be in the plans this year. I mean, you can't just make that move in the middle of camp and then be expected to go out there. Um, typically, you see those decisions in January and then they get a full spring to be able to do it. So uh, I don't, you know, some freshmen, they might decide to go a different path one way or another uh, after initially slotting them on one side of the ball. But I, I think this, the stuff for this season is pretty well set uh, in terms of positions. You spoke with Josh Fuga at ACC Media Day now in Charlotte. Hokie1992 asked, Josh Fuga looks like the life of the team. Where does he make his contributions on the field this fall? I, I think that emotional catalyst is a big contribution. I mean, you lose somebody like Dax. Who was that? I mean, Fuga was that last year too, but Dax was sort of that guy in the middle of the defense that would get guys fired up and kind of the, you know, the, the crazy man that's out there. And I think Fuga plays that role well. Uh, at least he, he's got that kind of personality. And you talk to other players on the team, he's always one that they bring up in terms of having that kind of you know, he's out there, he's vocal, he's, you know, gets guys rallied on the field. And, uh, you know, I, th- I think he's just, you know, he's part of that run stuffing group. I think that's probably his best asset is run stop. Uh, maybe that doesn't always lead to a ton of tackles. He didn't have a, a really big tackle total last year, but a lot of the grunt work goes on in the interior there where you're, you're just eating up blocks and then other guys coming to make plays. So, I think he's a nice, solid player in the middle of that defense, and and you've got to if you put enough of those guys around on the defense, you're going to have a pretty good unit. Should note that there's a nice competition for the launch pail right now. Fuga had it over the summer, and he brought it to Media Day, but or, or ACC football kickoff, excuse me. But at Virginia Tech's Media Day, Derek Canteen had it, which means he's somehow managed to wrestle that away from uh, from from uh, Fuga, which. And Fuga's, they say, has had a great camp. So that so if he's able to get that away from Fuga, that means Canteen's played on a high level too. But, again, it goes back to competition, which is something that Pry's been preaching the whole time, and it's good to see those uh, those defensive guys have, have something like that to compete for. I wanted to answer this one because it's not something we talk about a ton. Uh, VTCC65 asked, what yard line will – Virginia Tech need to be in for field goal range this year, and who does the kicking? That's a really good question. John Love has been the guy in practice. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, we saw him hit from about 49, 50 yards last week, meaning the ball was around the 33-yard line. To be safe, I'd say the Hokies need to be inside the 35 for a field goal, but I think it's something we can follow up with Brent Pry over on in the next couple of days. It's not like we talk about special teams a lot. Um, I mean, I'd say college kickers, you want to be inside the 30 before you feel yeah. comfortable about anything. And this is, you know, not, this is speaking generally about college kickers. There's not too many where they get 50 plus and you're like, yeah, I feel okay about that. Yeah. Yeah. Ultimately, like he didn't get inserted in the lineup to what halfway through last season might've even been a little bit. And later. there were no Love. attempts basically in the yeah, second half of the year. Yeah, it's just, uh, we just, it's such a small sample size. And, and like we've said, you know, we just don't get to see them very much. I and mean, we saw a little bit yesterday, but at the same time, you've got, field goal kicking going on on this side of the field and something else going on over here and you're trying to watch both and when you try to watch both you don't really get a full grasp on anything yeah. so that's a really good question and the something else is always more interesting than the field goal kicking let's be honest we all we all pay great attention to special team when something big happens yeah. right when there's something when either something really good happens or really bad happens but it's not something you watch if, if you're actually at practice yet. yeah yeah well, I think we walked out yesterday, and if I remember correctly, we've got the they're they're pra- doing field goals on one side outdoor, and on the inside it's the quarterbacks <laughs> and the running backs. It's right. like, well, which one are you going to oh, watch? I'm going to lean towards the quarterbacks. <laughs> yeah, uh, Richland Ho- Richland's Hokies sixty six. Chris is for you. What is your perfect layout of a tailgate? Food spread, drinks, games, etc. What what does your perfect tailgate look like? I'm not a big game player at tailgates. Um, I talk to a lot of people. Uh, the tailgate I go to, we have this, we have this giant uh, bar that, that our main tailgate guy brings up from Roanoke. It's a trailer. It's shaped like the lunch pail, and it opens like the lunch pail. And inside, there's a bar with a couple of TVs. I, I, will, I don't care too much about the food, and I bring my own drinks, and... I, I, I really will say I've, I get spoiled. Like, I, like, need a television at my tailgate these days. Uh, to watch football. Yeah, yeah. I'm, no, I'm going to have an interesting experience. I'm going to the Notre Dame-Navy game next week in Dublin, and I'm going to an organized Notre Dame tailgate bef- before the game. So I'm going to be inter- interested to see what the tailgating scene is like in Ireland. For I think there might be some game. beer there. <laughs> There's yeah. a good chance, and it might be called Guinness. <laughs> um, we'll close with this one. Uh, this is from a, a Twitter question. Uh, Kevin at Odane Kevin asks, beyond what is offered on campus, what additions to Blacksburg and maybe Christiansburg would make Virginia Tech a more attractive destination for players in terms of leisure, hobbies, and entertainment? So Dunkin' Donuts is coming. Did you see that? Really? Yeah. In Christiansburg? Yeah. I think I, I'm not sure if in Christiansburg, Blacksburg, I, I think I, my wife sent me a link about that uh, somewhat recently. Uh, that's a tough one. I that was a tough one. Uh, I am not like a I'm, young athlete. So I'm trying I, to think I, of things, not, things like, I do when I leave town that I can't do in Blacksburg. I mean, it, I mean, it depends on what you like to do. Yeah. Um, I don't think Blacksburg could sustain a top golf, but something like that yeah. would be pretty cool yeah. to have in here. Um, uh, that's from perspective of forty-year-olds. <laughs> top golf is, but yeah. top golf is like yeah. you go. It's like bowling. Yeah, you know, yeah. you go there, you drink, and you're not serious about what you're doing. That's true. So that's I, true. I feel like that's an activity that even non-golfers can go there and do that kind of stuff. Do they still have a golden tee at PKs? A what? 
Golden Tee? I don't ever play Golden Tee. The uh, video game? Yeah. Golden Tee? Uh, don't think so. Oh, man. Oh, come on, man. <laughs> come on, man. <laughs> I Sorry. Uh, I'm, 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 you know, I'm, I'm young, I guess. I, I When I go on vacation, I like to sample a lot of pubs. <laughs> and I like to go to the beach. Um, so, but honestly, I don't know. I can't put myself in the shoes of a 17-year-old kid who probably grew up in a more urban environment. Um, but, you know, there, there are some interesting stories I've heard through the years. And and depends on the sport. Like, there have been some women's basketball recruits. I mean, look, Blacksburg's a small town with not a lot of certain types of amenities. And, and, and there have been certain women's basketball recruits who were concerned about simple things like, can I get my hair done the way mm-hmm. I, I've always had it done in Blacksburg? There's just not that many places to get your hair here. Is there somebody that can yeah. do my hair the way I like it? I know that sounds silly, and it's, but it's not something a lot of people think about. But that has been questions from women's basketball recruits in, in, in the past yeah. um, that you would not find if you were like, let's say you're recruiting against NC State. Well, of course, you're going to find somebody like that in Raleigh who can cut your hair the yeah. way you want it to be. That's not necessarily the case in Blacksburg, right? And uh, so there are always little things like that you have to answer as a coach in recruiting that your average person would never even. Yeah, I feel like it kind of is just a lot of them are things you might not think about, even like coaches. I can imagine coaches or directors of ops and a player comes to them with this question something like that and they're like i didn't even think about that before mm-hmm. so yeah I, 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 th- I thought that was an interesting question yeah I, um i was curious to get your thoughts. I, I think i think it's interesting that they're, they're really starting to take these recruits to the lake a lot i was gonna say could they make a lake closer <laughs> that's closer to blacksbury they, they're doing wonderful things with man-made lakes these days yeah uh, they can make that like walking distance the, from camp yeah, the, 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 mountain, the, mountain lake there's the, not really a lake at mountain really, lake uh, anymore the, the, the next time they tear down like an old apartment complex rather than building a new one let's just put like oh, a lake a lake there a small lake big pond whatever you want to call it yeah, yeah. stock it with fish a lot of guys sure. like to go fishing yeah, it'd be good be perfect yep yeah i saw gosh what was it somebody tweeted out a picture just fish on the mind of uh i guess it was was it mario kendrick's My picture oh, of mario kendrick's holding a fish. a fish that was yeah. that was uh, i think that was probably I don't know if it's that specific picture, but when he got recruited by Tech and Jason Stame, I guess, did an inter- interview with him, and and that was the picture we used was was him holding Pulling up a fish. fish. Yeah, he's he's the he's the modern Sergio Render. Um, before we go, what's coming up on Tech's sideline this week? I know you, Chris, we've got a lot of content planned for today. You got a linebacker preview coming. Got a Brandon Patterson article coming. We'll have my normal Q&A tom- uh, tomorrow. Andy, you have a mailbag? Mailbag today, a lot of realignment questions. Yeah. Uh, um, leading off that n- one. Next week, you know, I'm leaving on Tuesday, but I'll leave behind some content. Like, I'll, I'll have a feature on Fontel Mines. And I've also interviewed, you know, Jim Cavanaugh and Lou Johnson for that article. Uh, we will have our top prospects article that I do mm. every year right before the season started that I've already started working on. So uh, that's on so that's leaving, for so Tuesday. I, yeah, and we'll finish off uh, Monday. We'll fi- I'll finish off my previews uh, with, with the defensive, defensive backs. backs. But I'll, so even though I will not be in the country, you'll see articles showing up yeah. with my name on them. So Sweet. it's going to be a busy weekend for me though because I got to write all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. So I can you know leave. Sounds good. Yeah, I've got, I'm going to write something on, uh, I got some good perspective from Brent Pry and some of the other guys, some of the players on just what it's like to be an official visit host and how important that is. Um, And I'm going to write a story on that probably next week, uh, early next week. Antoine Powell Ryland, I think is a, is a 
is a big guy that maybe not a lot of people are talking about. And we haven't officially had any time to talk with him as media, but I got to talk, talk with him a little bit at media day. So I'm going to write something on him next week. So that will do it for us on episode 305 of the Text Online Podcast. Thank you to all who tuned in and everyone on set today. Chris Coleman, Text Online's lead analyst and columnist. Andy Bitter, Text Online senior staff writer. Carter Hill, who produces episode. Thank you, Carter. I'm your host, David Cunningham, TSL's managing editor, signing off from episode 305 of the Text Online Podcast. We'll talk to you next week.